Hi friend, it's 2020. If you're anything like me, this year has been hard. Have you had days that feel confusing, disappointing, or just totally overwhelming? Especially in times like these, and really no matter what life stage you're currently in, do you find yourself looking for something real? Do you ever stay up late at night wondering if there's more to this world than the chaos in your social media feed? Maybe like me, you wonder about things like restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. And truth, I am on an imperfect journey of pursuing Jesus Christ and what it looks like to find those things in a relationship with Him. It's a journey I committed to years ago when I dedicated my life to following Christ, and it's a journey I invite friends to explore with me, even if, and honestly, especially if you're just not so sure about Jesus. So for those who are wandering, wondering, skeptical, or just need some encouragement, we all need encouragement these days, don't we? This podcast is for you. Please come along with me as we journey together towards finding something real. Well, welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And friend, I am so thankful that we are diving into, and we have been diving into, the Deep Faith Question series, where I've been chatting with guests about hard questions related to the Christian faith. And today's guest, um, I just want to take a moment to introduce him. He is the president of the King's University in South Lake, Texas. He and his wife, Michelle, are parents of two, and they are also lead pastors of Victory Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. He holds a doctorate from Oral Roberts University. He enjoys traveling and speaking at churches and conferences, but his greatest passion is to empower and equip the local church to live, move, and be in the fullness of Christ. He truly believes that the local church is the hope of the world and desires to lead with transparency, authenticity, and passion. I'm excited to welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast, Dr. John Chastain. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be with you. And um, yeah, I just, I love, I love the technology allows us to do this from, you know, opposite sides of the country and I'm honored to be here with you. Yeah. Well, one of the things um, I just want to thank you, first of all, for being here, but before we jump in and chat about your book, which uh, I've been reading called Half the Battle, I'm excited to chat with you about that. I was, as I was um, researching for today's interview, I was struck by what you had shared in your bio, which um, you had said that you found the local church was the hope of the world. Yeah. And in these times where, um, you know, I don't know if you watched the debate a couple days ago, but <laughs> I tried. <laughs> the world... <laughs> <laughs> the world needs a lot of hope. Oh my so gosh. before we jump into all of the book, yeah. I'd love for you, in your opinion, to share, yeah. especially because this podcast episode is going to air real close to the election. Yeah. Um, in your opinion, what hope does the church offer right now? Yeah, you know, to give some backstory, I I grew up a preacher's kid. <laughs> so, you know, I went through a phase of my life where um, every typical preacher's kid, where I really kind of gave up on church. I gave up on um, faith. I gave up on everything. And I think, you know, I had to come full circle to the moment where I had an encounter with God for me, uh, not because my daddy said so, right? And Mm -hmm. so I, 
I, I guess, and I think that's what is important for all of us is that, you know, we can't be convinced to have faith. We can't be, we, sometimes you can't figure it out in your mind. I'm, I'm wrestling with this with my 13 year, I have a 13 year old daughter and she's in this phase of adolescence where she's trying to figure out stuff for herself, not because dad said so. And I have to let her wrestle with those things. That's important that I just don't say, well, you have to believe. And I think that the church plays such an important role in this, that the church isn't there to tell people what they have to believe. The church is there to come alongside and yes, equip and yes, engage, but to have this space where people can come and experience the presence of God and come in the fullness of knowing everything that God has to offer us. And so I think that the church is this rally point, right? You know, the church isn't for us for no more. We don't come to the church to, you know, have our little club. We come to the church to be empowered and equipped and encouraged to go out and be the church. So the church has become these four walls uh, where it was never intended to be that. The church is the hope of the world because we're supposed to leave the church and go out and encounter and engage with the world around us. And so I think the church is such a vitally important part of our lives because it is that place where we come to be equipped. It says that in Ephesians chapter four. And so, um, yeah, I just, I, I love the local church as flawed as it is, you know, and I meet people all the time that are jaded by the church. They're hurt by the church. And I always tell them, look, as long as human beings are involved with the local church, there will be issues. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I've just grown to have such a love and appreciation for the church, the good parts, the bad parts and everything in between. Um, I just, I just love the local church. Yeah. I love that. Um, and just in a practical sense, how can people be the church right now? That's such a good question. <laughs> so, <laughs> such an important question. Um, because I see some of my, you know, some of my dear friends, even on, on social media, you know, <laughs> people that are, that are of the church, uh, maybe being the most divisive during mm -hmm. these times. And I think that's what breaks my heart is that the church is supposed to be, we are the church. I'm not talking about the church, the organization. I'm talking about us individually as the church to be a, a beacon of light of, of uniting. Like, can we be a people that, that unite people, not divide people? And so I think that might be the filter that we all need to take our minds and our thoughts through before we act, right? Think before you, you act. Before I say that, is that a uniting statement before I type that? Is that a uniting statement before I say mm -hmm. that? I think, um, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can be the church, but I think now more than ever with, with all the racial tension, with the political tension, with the COVID and all the things that have become political, even wearing a mask has become political. <laughs> um, thinking about others before ourselves, right? I mean, isn't that the, some of the base basics of our faith, um, is making sure that we're thinking about other people before we think about ourselves. So there's so many ways right now that we can be the body of Christ. Um, and uniting might be what our nation needs more than ever right now. Yeah, totally agree. Well, I'm excited to chat with you about your book here. It's your first book. Is that it correct? Is. It is my very okay. first book. It's called half the battle, um, healing your hidden hurts and, appropriately i've read about half of it it's very good and um 
I'd love for you to share a little bit more about it. Um, so many people are in pain right now yeah. based on different circumstances. It's interesting. You wrote this, I'm assuming, well before COVID was even on. I no? had no idea. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying yes. I had no idea that COVID yeah. was going to be a thing when this book launched. <laughs> right, which is interesting because you even use, when you're talking about rejection as one of the hurts in here, you use yeah. the bubonic plague as one of your examples. Right? I wrote that before <laughs> the plague. <laughs> yes. So this book is super appropriate for people right now because I think everybody's going through something right now, which is another thing that you touch on in this book. Right away, you talk about that, that one truth is constant. Without a battle, there is no victory. But then you say further along that you're either coming out or you're starting a new battle. Yep. Yep. And I think that a lot of people this year uh, feel very battle you know, ridden, they're just tired of yeah. the fight. So yeah. tell me about your book and uh, what it's about, please. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the book, the timing of the book is very interesting, you know, and I don't think it's an accident. I think the Lord had that this book come out now for a reason, because I think, you know, if you look at the statistics, what we're seeing is, you know, people have been being forced to be home more. And what happens is we were with people more and it causes all of these issues to rise to the surface and mm -hmm. divorce rates are on the rise, you know, child abuse rates are on the rise. Uh, I think the only people making money right now are liquor stores. <laughs> people, are, <laughs> people are like, I just got to have a drink to get through the day. And Zoom. <laughs> yeah. And Zoom. Oh my gosh. Zoom. Zoom's making money. Um, so, so I, I believe what's happening is that some of the things that we're all feeling and sensing are issues and pains that have always been there, but they're just below the surface, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes you don't know what is in something until you squeeze it. <laughs> if you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, you'll find out really quick what's in it because it's going to come out. And we're, it's like our whole nation is being squeezed and, and we're seeing what's coming out. And mm -hmm. so this, this book really is kind of a deep dive. It's, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. It's, it is a deep dive up in your business and yeah. It, and yeah, and it gets, <laughs> it gets down real quick. And I, I, I say that pretty early on in the book is like, if you're still reading this book, then you really are getting down deep into it because the truth of the matter is, is that we all have issues, you know, and that's what I love about um, parts of this book is that, you know, we like to put on these pretty faces and pretend like we got it all, all together. And I think that's why a lot of people are kind of get frustrated with the church or frustrated with Christians is because we're hypocrites. I mean, we pretend like we have all our lives together. But at the end of the day, every person on this planet has issues. And what I begin to realize as I pastored people um, is that I would begin to counsel people um, either, you know, they're having marital issues, they're having addiction issues, they're having relationship issues, whatever, whatever it is. Um, what I begin to realize is that me trying to fix the quote unquote issue was pointless. I couldn't fix it. Like I couldn't. And then what I begin to realize is there was something just below the surface that I was seeing the fruit, but there was a root that there was something yeah. deeper inside each and every one of us. And my, my, my mind, my, my bachelor's degree was, was in the psychology realm. So my mind kind of always ticks like that. And so what, what is causing this? You know, if you see somebody having an outburst, my first thing is not to respond to the outburst, but to say, man, what is it in this person that's making them feel like they have to respond in this way? And so the book kind of dives into this a little bit 
And for those who don't really know the Bible that well, there's this story in the Old Testament of the, the Israelites and their journey out of slavery in Egypt. They were enslaved by Egypt and God leads them out. And maybe you've heard of the parting of the Red Sea or some of those famous Bible stories. And so they go through the wilderness and they end up right on the banks of the Jordan River in the book of Joshua. And they're about to enter in what is called in the Bible, the promised land. And this is the land that God had promised the people, the nation of Israel for, for centuries. And they're finally there and they're going to go into the promised land. But the Bible says that when they get to the promised land, God told them to take possession of the land that I'm giving it to you, but you're going to have to take possession of it, which meant you're going to have to fight. And so if you write, read through the book of Joshua, you'll see that when they get to the promised land, they fight. They go to Jericho, and that's the famous Bible story where the walls come tumbling down. Then they go to a place called Ai, and they fight, and then they defeat the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms, and they're fighting battles. But what I begin to realize is that those battles that they were going to go to fight was only half the battle. And I begin to see these parallels between the battles we're fighting in the day-to-day -day of our lives, whether it's jobs or finances or, you know, whether it's lust or pornography or addictions or marital issues, that's only half the battle because God did something in the hearts of the Israelites on the banks of the Jordan River um, that I believe was the hardest battle they ever fought. Now, they went on to fight a lot of battles with swords, but they fought a bigger battle on the inside first. Um, and so I can ramble for days. So if you need to interrupt me, just interrupt me. Um, no. so, <laughs> so, well, I, no, go, I, I guess, go, go, go. <laughs> pushing back a little bit. Please. Um, I, I also have a background in psychology and oh. I know that when you, I, I know I, I wasn't satisfied with the undergraduate. I went and got my master's in counseling and, um, you know, it's very interesting as I was reading through yeah. uh, some of your book here, it does feel like a counseling session. It's very, but it, in a very good way, like a life coach yeah. counseling kind of way, like this is probably your issue. Um, and it is up in your business in a good way. Um, but I also know most people who go into psychology um, wanting to learn about human behavior, a lot of times it's because you have your own issues that you're needing to deal with. That's really good. So what exactly <laughs> were your issues um, that led you to take this? I need to lay on a couch to... right now. I feel like I need to lay down <laughs> on the couch. <laughs> no. No, a lot of this pain for me was, you know, I became a pastor. And when I became a pastor, I was a campus pastor first of a large church. And the senior pastor at the time had a moral failure. And this was a person that I looked up to. This was a person that, that, you know, I aspired to, like, he was like a, you know, a hero in the faith type of that type of thing. And I felt really, really crushed. I felt rejected. I felt alone. And I ended up becoming the senior pastor of this church. Um, so I kind of followed on the heels of this, of this guy. He was a great man of God. I think he, he still is a great man of God. He just made a devastating mistake. And so then I was left holding all the pieces of this broken puzzle. Um, and I felt abandoned. I felt rejected. I felt alone. And it was a struggle for me. And so mm -hmm. I went through this process and this journey. And really, I, be, I started to, to sense that seeds of bitterness and unforgiveness had been placed in my heart. And I didn't want fruit to grow out of that. 
right? I, I didn't want those things to take place in my life. And so that was probably one of the most painful parts of my life, not only overcoming the devastation of that, but then trying to figure out how to pick up the pieces of a church and put it back together of a large church, thousands of people that have been crushed and not just leading myself through forgiveness, and but leading an entire congregation through forgiveness and leading an entire staff through through unforgiveness. And it just kind of took me through this deep dive of purifying my heart, you know, and on the banks of that Jordan River that day in the book of Joshua, um, something super awkward happened. That's weird to talk about. <laughs> the Bible says that God told them to circumcise themselves. And um, there was this circumcision of the flesh. And we know that in the New Testament, you know, if you go over into the New Testament, it begins to change the story of a circumcision of the flesh to a circumcision of the heart. And there's this beautiful symbolism in this, as awkward as it, awkward as it is to talk about, <laughs> where these guys, these grown men, had to walk up to Joshua and be circumcised. Like, how embarrassing would this be for a grown man to humble themselves, to be vulnerable, and to, you know, can, there's no other way to say it, expose themselves, you know, and mm -hmm. allow this circumcision to happen. And there's a picture of this in the New Testament where when we have unforgiveness, we have bitterness, we have pain, we have rejection. It's the same process for our heart. We have to allow God to circumcise this from our heart, these painful things. And it, allows, it requires humility. It requires vulnerability. And it requires we expose those things in our hearts and allow God to begin to circumcise them. And then the very next verse in that text, in verse 9 of chapter 5, Joshua 5, 9, the Lord told Joshua, today I have, re I have removed, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Uh, and, and I was like, what? Wait, they left Egypt 40 years ago. It was 40 years ago that they left Egypt. But God said, today I'm removing Egypt from you. And so I begin to relate to say there, there's things that happened to us 40 years ago. You know, one of our listeners may have gotten a divorce 40 years ago. One of our listeners may have been molested 30 years ago. Like that was 30 years ago. And God removed them from that situation. But yeah. the situation was still in them. And so God takes us through this journey of saying, yes, you're no longer, you know, in an abusive situation but the abuse is still in you. And I want to cut that out. I want to cut that away from you. Before you go to battle, I want to fight a bigger battle. You know, fighting the battles on the outside in our lives is half the battle. The other half of the battle is the fight that we must fight on the inside of dealing with our pains and our hurts and our issues and our rejection um, and allowing God to cut those things out. And so I kind of introduced that in the first of the part of the book. And then the rest of the book is kind of walking this out. You know, what does this look like? Um, how yeah. do I how do I do this? And that's when that story of Lazarus kind of comes in, and I kind of shape things into that way. So, well, I I love that, and I I love um, the part in your book where you're honest about, hey, I I preached this, a bunch of people came forward, and I'm like, now what? I don't know what, <laughs> what to do. do? With you. <laughs> <laughs> right before we talk about what to do, I mean, I'll share this in a minute here but you know I have hidden pain right you yeah. know everybody does we everybody do. has some stench right right and um you know it's 
there's a difference between exposing it to the light and working through it and all those different right. things. Right. But there's also um, a point where you do just want to shut the door on it because totally. you don't want that to be part of your identity anymore. You want to just move on. Yeah. So um, I guess the hard faith question I guess I have is why do Christians, in your opinion, mm-hmm. um, have such a hard time letting it out to the light? Yeah. And um, what can we do about it? Yeah, I think... I think at the at the heart of every human being, um, at the core of every human being, is this innate desire to be accepted. Like mm-hmm. really, at, at the root of everything we do from from our childhood, we want to be accepted. We want people to accept us so much so that we even use that on social media. Will you accept my friendship? Will you accept? <laughs> I sent you a friend request. Will you follow me? <laughs> yeah, I sent you a friend request, and you didn't accept it. We yeah. we want to be accepted, like at the root of that. You know, we want people to love us and accept us, mm-hmm. um, because many times we don't even accept ourselves, and so we'll feed this insecurity by, you know, we want other people to accept us, and so Christian, non-Christian, it really doesn't matter. We want to be accepted, and so we'll hide things. Even people that aren't Christians will hide things. You know, I don't even know if it's a Christian, non-Christian issue. It's that we just want to be accepted. And so Christians get a bad rap because we're not supposed to be that way. But since we are, then we're hypocrites. But the reality of it is we're humans. We all come from the same race, the human race, and we all got issues. And, And it's this desire to hide them away. One, because it hurts too bad and I don't want to think about it. And I don't want to deal with it because it's painful. But two is I don't want anybody else to know about it because then they'll think less of me. And, mm-hmm. and so if you think about it from the realm of being, we want to be accepted, then the opposite of that is we don't want to be rejected. Mm-hmm. We do not want to be rejected. We want to be accepted. And that's, I, I dedicate a whole book, a whole chapter on the book of rejection um, because it's something that I've never really heard taught about, especially in the church. And, and that's why I begin to think that it's one of the devil's greatest weapons, because mm-hmm. we think the greatest weapons of the devil are pornography and, you know, drugs and all these big name things that we would use, that the devil's going to use these against me and there's a devil under every rock. But if I was the devil, and I don't think I am, but if, if I were, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to be using like sneak attack stuff, stuff that you never see coming, just a tiny little seed that I can drop in your spirit and walk away and let that seed grow into something that bears fruit in your life. And I think rejection is one of those things uh, because mm-hmm. rejection is another, it's another universal thing. Every human being experiences rejection. Some's big, some small, some were abandoned as a child and had to be adopted and went, came up through the foster system. That's rejection. Some people, you know, a father that they thought was going to protect them, abused them. That's rejection. Mm-hmm. A mother that you think is going to be this loving, tender, caring woman, you know, talks down to you. It's rejection all the way to little things, you know, like I texted that person and they, you know, started to text back and there was bubbles popping up. I knew they were texting me and then they never texted back. It was <laughs> rejection, you know, right. and nobody posted on my social media page is rejection. Like if I would have stood you up on this podcast, rejection and you would have thought less of me. <laughs> so um, I begin to see that rejection is a piece of pain. Like, yeah. I don't know what kind of pain that everybody out there is experiencing, 
But if you look at it close enough, if you peel the layers of the onion back, somewhere down in there is rejection. You right. wanted to be received, you wanted to be accepted, and you were rejected. And we spend so much of our time focusing on the fruit. You know, I got an anger issue and I just need to be better and I just need to go to some anger management classes. Maybe you do. Uh, you know, I, gotta, I drink a little bit too much, but it's just to knock the edge off. And we deal so much with the fruit, um, but we never get down to the root of saying, what, man, what happened to me that I, that I have this seed in me that's producing this fruit? Um, and so I, I kind of dedicate a whole chapter to that because there's a lot of things we can do with rejection. We can, mm -hmm. we can hide it away and just pretend like it's not there and just try to go on about our life. But that didn't work. And we can pass it off onto other people. We all know somebody who's passed off their pain to other people. That's people who say, it's your fault. I'm, I get angry. It's your fault. I lose my temper. It's your fault. I drink. It's your fault. I do this. So we try to pass it off or we just try to carry it. <laughs> we just carry it along with us. And we carry it on our sleeve and we use excuses like, well, it's just the way I am. I know I'm a jerk, but I'm just going to be me. Um, so, yeah, rejection becomes a big part of that, of, of what yeah. we can carry along, you know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> now it's my turn to be on Please. the couch. I, guess. <laughs> I need to stop talking because I'm talking too much. No, 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 you're not. This is great. <laughs> uh, I think your book is fantastic. And um, rejection is my issue, right? Um, and I never talk about that here on the podcast, but I might as well. I mean, because we're talking about it. <laughs> I'll um, send you a bill but, later. <laughs> I'm not a psychologist, but, by the way. No, I'm no, not I know. qualified to that. I know. Go ahead. Um, but um, I, God has redeemed a lot of that, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, praise the Lord. However, there's restoration uh, by the people who I perceive as having rejected me that I long for yeah. on a daily basis, yeah. right? Uh, you know, people, and I'm sure someone listening knows what I'm talking about. There's somebody in your life who yeah. uh, you thought was supposed to love you that didn't. I'm not mm -hmm. talking about the little rejections that happen when somebody doesn't show up for something or right. all these things. Although I will say those things trigger it, right? Sometimes it's like this narrative that plays in your head yep. that goes, oh, somebody who loved me or who knew me very deeply turned and walked the other way and said, I don't want that person. They're a throwaway person. Yep. And so those little lies that the devil puts in your head, right? They get in there and they get to your identity. They get to who you are. All of a sudden it's like, oh, I am a throwaway person. And here I have these people who stepped out of my life to believe it, mm -hmm. right? And it's so easy to fall into that trap. And I just speak to mm -hmm. that as somebody who knows exactly what that feels like. I also could speak to some freedom and things that God has done in the midst of all that. But it's still a daily struggle sometimes when mm. I go on social media Absolutely. and I see that person loving on somebody else or pretending that everything's fine yep. and me inside feeling like, oh man, I, I wish you still loved me. Wow. So uh, that's it's really so vulnerable, no, it's but it's so true. Though. And yeah. I'm just wondering, what what do you say to somebody like that? Because I know as a pastor, you you may not be an official counselor, but John, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people come to you for counseling all the time, and now you've written yeah. a book that's really exposed a lot of their issues. No, it's so. so it's so true, and I what appreciate you your, I appreciate your vulnerability because really, what we do is when somebody hurts us, rejects us, it's bec it becomes an offense. Mm -hmm. And I like to even use the illustration of as an offense is a fence. It's it's a fence that we build. 
to make sure that that never happens. It's a defense mechanism. You know, yeah. if somebody climbs over, if somebody comes onto my property and I don't want them on my property and they harm me, I'm going to build a fence to keep them off my property. And yeah. so they become offenses that we, that we build to keep people from ever hurting us again. And, um, and I think a lot of people are like, well, just get over it. You know, we'll just get over it. We just, let's just get around it. Let's just get through it. Right. These are things you just can't do. You can't get over it. You can't get through it. It's a fence. Like it's a big fence. And I think some people think, well, just forgive them, move on. And even the church is guilty of this sometimes of just saying, we'll just get over it. Like, like I'm just going to pray a prayer and magically it's going to go away. And I'm never going to think about that person or that pain or that molestation ever again. It doesn't happen that way. I think it's this constant, as the Bible says, renewing of the mind. I may have to do it every single day for a season, mm -hmm. you know? And so I've, I've had those situations too, where somebody hurt me, like deeply hurt me. Somebody that I loved and I looked up to harmed me. And I felt like the only way that I was going to get through this is I, I began to pray blessings on that person. I had one of my mentors say, you know what you need to do to get over it, to get through it. You get to pray for that person. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'll pray for him. Okay. Shut up. Whatever. <laughs> no, no, really. I want you to pray for that person that they would be blessed. Um, I remember he said, use the same prayers that you ask God to bless you. Use that same prayer for that person. And I was like, mm -hmm. you have lost your mind. I'm not praying that, but I begin to do it. And what I noticed is when I first started doing it, my, my heart didn't believe what my mouth was saying. It just yeah. didn't. I just said it anyways. Right. Uh, there's that the verse in Romans chapter 10 that says, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart. Right. It's this, it's this, when we give our lives to Jesus, it says you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. I think it's interesting that confessing the mouth came before believing it in the heart. And I think sometimes the power of our words. So I just begin to pray blessings over this person and I'd pray it and I'd be like, but you don't have to do it if you don't want to God, <laughs> you know, but I'd say it, I'd say it anyways. And what I realized is that we're about a three to six month time period. I really begin to feel, um, I still didn't love the person, but I begin to feel an affection of like, almost felt sorry for him. Like, God, no, really God bless him, bless him mm -hmm. seriously. And I think that's a process. I think um, I'm not saying that God can't supernaturally help us get over something quickly. He can do anything he wants. He can turn water into wine and, you know, part the Red Sea. It could happen that way. Um, but I think more often than not, God wants us to be involved in our own healing process and our own healing journey. And um, that's really what that story of Lazarus is, is what, letting Jesus come to our place of pain, you know, and, and, and yeah. escorting him to that place. Because Mary and Martha couldn't resurrect Lazarus. They couldn't. It's impossible. Um, mm -hmm. Only Jesus could do that. And I think there's some things in us that only Jesus can fix. So maybe we shouldn't stop trying to fix them ourselves and just yeah. allow Jesus to, to come to that place of pain on a continual yeah. basis. That's all awesome. Um, I, I think a big part of the redemption in my own life has been that, that forgiveness piece at looking at what Jesus did and endured for me mm. and um, thinking, man, like if he's willing to do that, put up with all of that, yeah. then who am I to hold on to this right, you yeah. know? Yeah. And I, I will share this real briefly. Yeah. I, I wasn't planning on it. Do it. Um, <laughs> just will. <laughs> um, you know, 
the Holy Spirit is gentle. And yes. he's not that condemnation, you know, pointing the finger going, man, you've lived in this forever. You yep. know, what's wrong with you? And I will say that I spent the majority of my 20s being bitter and hurt mm-hmm. um, by people that, you know, I, I felt like I just, they, I, I deserved better, yeah. you know? Yeah. And um, when somebody came to me after, you know, nine years of rejection and said, I love you, mm-hmm. um, I said to that person, don't say things you don't mean. And I walked away. And wow. you know what? It felt good. It wow. felt good to reject her right back. Wow. Um, but I will say that five years later, mm-hmm. uh, the same opportunity rolled around. That person was right next to me, and uh, we were at a funeral. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I remember being in that moment, and the Holy Spirit just gently said to me, mm-hmm. uh, go forgive her. Mm-hmm. Go tell her. And I thought, I don't want to forgive her. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. forgive this person yeah. who has hurt me over and over and over. I could count a hundred mm-hmm. things. And I, but I, I said yes to God, you know, because mm. I knew he was right. And it wasn't this like voice of condemnation or how dare you, you know, hold mm. on to this. I went over to her. I said, I love you. You know, five years ago, you said this to me and I, I couldn't reciprocate or I didn't. And I'm sorry. Wow. She goes, thank you. And she walked away Wow. and uh, basically walked away from my life. Right. So, mm. but I will say that there was so much freedom in that in, but it wasn't, this hammer over my head That's right. of, you know, you are so bad. That's right. Your stench is so ugly. It was, I've done this for you, Janelle. Now you go do this for somebody else and I'll give you the strength. And, um, and I love that Jesus does that. He meets us where we're at. If yeah. you're listening to this right now and, and this is hitting something in your yeah. own heart, I just want to encourage you, you know, God sees you. He loves you. And, um, he sees where you're at. And so I, I'm excited to read so through the good. rest of this book, John. And yeah. um, I know you do talk about, um, you know, what Jesus did and what he endured for us in here. Are there yeah. any other helpful tips you would have for somebody who maybe thinks that they've worked through some of this, but they're mm-hmm. still struggling? What, what, uh, well, I think even what, you, what you said is really important and knowing the difference between conviction and shame. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause shame is something that, you know, gets so much so much of us so many of us there's a big difference between conviction and shame conviction is that holy spirit coming in a tenderly loving way never beating you over the head never feel making never making you feel ashamed never making you feel regret you know shame leaves you with regret conviction never leaves you with regret yeah. um, conviction prompts you you know it's this loving tender thing and what i always tell people when they're feeling reject rejected um or when they identify the rejection, that's really a big step is going back. And, and I encourage people, you know, to ask the Lord to, to help you remember that rejection, that pain. We know the symptoms, we know the problem. And I've literally had people tell me that in their prayer time, the Lord will bring something back to their memory, which, you know, if our listeners don't know a lot about the Bible, one of the attributes of the Holy Spirit that it talks about when John says, when, when Jesus says, I'm going away, but somebody's going to come, the Holy Spirit's going to come. It says that he will bring all things back to your remembrance. And so the Holy Spirit has this ability and people will remember moments of their life where they felt rejected. And the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. My wife, Michelle, we've been married almost 20 years and she, she's, I'm going to tell, tell her age. I don't really care. She, she may not hear this. <laughs> she's 41. Okay. So she's 41. I'm 41. And um, 
she has this vivid, vivid memory, and she has a good relationship with her father for the most part. And but she has this vivid memory of when she was seven years old, and her dad said, "Hey, let's go out to eat, just me and you. It'll be a little daddy daughter date." So she was so excited. So she ran to her bedroom and she got on her prettiest dress and she was fixing her hair and she spent so much time getting ready because she wanted to be pretty for her dad. And she walks out into the living room to leave and her dad says to her, aren't you going to fix your hair? And so it's just a, you know, it's just a dad being a dumb dad. You know, I mean, it wasn't like he was (laughs) saying something mean. He was just, he genuinely, I'm sure it looked terrible. She was seven, you know, fix her hair. But she remembers that to this day, like to this day, she remembers that moment. And so it's even made me mindful as a parent, right? I'll sit my kids down like every three to six months and say, have I, makes me like tear up. Have I done anything to you that would make you feel as though your father has rejected you? Mm Because I don't want my kids kids having that kind of pain. So I'm, I always remind people, listen, if you're feeling rejected, you're in really good company. Number one, <laughs> Moses was rejected. <laughs> Noah was rejected. Elijah Joseph. Elijah, Joseph. If you look at every character in the Bible, they, every one of them were rejected. Um, mm-hmm. And if you look at Jesus, he was more rejected than anybody. He was rejected mm-hmm. before he ever came out of his womb. They said, there's no room at the end for you. (laughs) And then the Sadducees rejected him. The Pharisees rejected him. The Romans, the Jews, the Gentiles, his own disciples rejected him. Peter said, nope, I don't know this guy. Um, And then Jesus is hanging on the cross and his own father, you know, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so Jesus felt rejection more than any of us. And so that's when it really clicked for me whenever I thought about Jesus and then I remembered Psalm 118 and it says that Christ has become, uh, Christ was the stone that the builders rejected. And then it goes on to say that that stone has become the cornerstone. And it talks about this in Ephesians chapter two as well. It says that the church is built with the foundation of the apostles and the prophets And it says, with Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And so if Jesus was the stone that the builders rejected, that means that the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they knew the Messiah was coming. And they said, nope, he's not the one. They rejected him as the Messiah. And back in those days, they didn't pour foundations like we do today. We we pour stem walls. And back then, they would go to a rock quarry, and they would walk through the rock quarry and look for a cornerstone. And they said, nope not that one. Nope, not that one. That's the one. And so Jesus became this cornerstone that our entire faith is built upon. Ephesians chapter Mm -hmm. two says that this is the way the church is built. And Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone that everyone else rejected. And so what it showed me is that I'm with my pain, with my rejection, I'm not supposed to carry it. I'm not supposed to pass it off and I'm not supposed to hide it away. I'm supposed to lay it down because cornerstones are too heavy to carry. They were never meant to be carried. They were meant to be laid down. They weren't meant to be a weight. They were meant to carry weight. And so I think that's why, you know, marriage counselors, the best marriage counselors are ones who've had marital problems. (laughs) And the best drug counselors are the ones who are former drug addicts. Um, And the best financial planners are the ones who were filed for bankruptcy before. Because if we'll take our testimony and lay it down 
and expose it to light, God's like, now I can use it. Now yeah. I can use it. And so I think it's just such a key aspect of, of, of that process. And it's, you know, to our listeners, it's super easy for me to sit here and write a book about it and preach about it and talk about <laughs> it. And I realize it is not easy to do. It is not mm-hmm. an easy process to do. But I really do think that it's, it's a key aspect of us overcoming and getting through our painful situations. Mm-hmm. So for the person listening who's still struggling with those voices that come into his or her head, you know, and um, just something triggers a reminder of yeah. a past rejection or past hurt. Yeah. Um, what is a practical, they're sitting there on the other end and they're thinking, that's me. I'm, I'm dealing with all that stuff. What do I do now? So expose it to the light. What does that mean exactly? And yeah. how do you, how do you let the stench out without, you know, making yeah. everybody stink around you? <laughs> right. Well, I think, you know, to go back to that, um, um, that analogy or that symbolism of circumcision, right? The circumcision of the heart. Um, that makes a really good analogy, but that's really hard to make practical. But the way that you make it practical <laughs> is to cut anything away takes a knife, right? Mm-hmm. Takes a scalpel. And in the book of Hebrews, it says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it has the ability to, to, to separate our soul from our spirit. And, you know, so it's saying that the word of God is the only thing that's sharp enough. Because our soul is made up of our mind, our will, and our emotions. That's your soul. That's your mind, your will, and your emotions. And then your spirit, right? So that scripture mentions our soul and our spirit. And what happens in life is that our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions gets intertwined with our spirit man. And our, before you know it, your emotions are running your spirit man. And your mind is running your spirit man. And, you're, and so what happens is, is it says that the Holy Spirit, that the, the Word of God, is the only thing that can separate it. And mm-hmm. so I think we have to identify what is the pain, what is the lie. There's always a lie. There's a lie that the enemy has dropped in your spirit, in your mind. You know, if you, if you were rejected by your parents, then the lie is, you know, you, your parents didn't like you. There's something wrong with you you're just not lovable. If a, if you were dated somebody or you were married to somebody and they divorced you, or if you put on 10 pounds, the devil will drop a lie. Oh, see there, no one's ever going to love you. There's always a lie, always a lie. And whether we know it or not, subconsciously, we come into agreement with that lie. You know, we start living our lives based on a lie and, you know, we give the enemy that, that um, permission, so to speak, to come into that part of our life, our life. It would be like if you owned a hundred acres and you sell one acre to somebody else, you owned all that acreage and you sold one acre to somebody else. You give them a legal right to be on that property. But what if you sold them one acre in the middle of your 100 acres? Well, by law, there's a thing called easement where you are mm-hmm. required by law to give them access to their piece of property. So they get to drive through your property to get to theirs. And I think this is a, a, an analogy of what we do with the enemy sometimes. We're, we're living for God in every area of our life except this one area. And so that homeowner, that property owner has to sit there and watch this guy drive through his property every day and throw trash out of his car 
on his way to his piece of property. And this is what the, this is what the enemy does to us. There's one lie in our life that we've allowed him to come into agreement with. We've come into agreement with. And then as he's on his way there, he's trashing everything. He's trashing our mind, our emotions. He's trashing everything, telling lies. And I think the only way to take back legally, so to speak, this territory that we've given the enemy is, is the word of God. You know, And some people are like, well, I don't know the word of God. And I don't know what Bible verse to talk to turn to. Google it. Like, <laughs> you know, it's not that hard. Like if you're struggling with lust or, you know, you're, you're having identity issues, sit down and Google, what are some Bible verses on my identity in Christ and yeah. find a word for you, a scripture, find the lie and then find the truth. And as you find the truth, you will overcome the lie. And every day and every time that you're tempted to think the lie or the enemy reminds you of something, you have a Bible verse on your mirror in your bathroom and you're brushing your teeth and you're reading that Bible verse. I think it's the only way. I, I you know, you can't you can't outthink it, you can't outmaneuver it, you can't out talk it. The word of God is the only thing that's sharper than any two-edged sword that can separate your soul from your spirit. Mm -hmm. That's so good. And do you think that some of that is repentance too, like repenting of agreeing with the lie and turning from it? Do you yeah. think there has to be a moment where we do that, where we go, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. I don't want to, I don't want to agree with this lie that I've believed for so long. I really, really do. I think repentance is a, it's funny you say that repentance. Um, I'm actually preaching a sermon, oddly enough, at the <laughs> timing of this recording, I'm preaching a sermon um, this coming Sunday about about repentance, and I kind of had this conviction almost that we don't talk about repentance in church anymore. We just we talk about the grace of God a lot, but we don't talk about repentance. And I, I'll, I'll real quickly I'll read this verse for you that I'm going to preach on this weekend because I think it's very applicable. It's Paul, and he's really writing to the church of Corinth in Second Corinthians chapter seven, um, verse eight, and he says. <clears throat> he says, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though though I did regret it, for I see that the letter that I wrote you grieved you, but only for a little while. So he wrote this letter to the church of Corinth. I don't know what it was, but it was like so impactful that it caused them to grieve, like sorrowful, like repentant. But verse nine says, but I rejoice not that you were grieved but that it but that but, but because you were grieved into repenting hmm. so it caused you as a conviction it was a conviction and then it says for you felt a godly grief the godly grief so there's a sorrow there's a bad grief that's yeah. shame that's what the enemy comes but this is what you were talking about a while ago with conviction he says you received a godly grief so that you suffered no loss and so and then verse 10 this is the last verse it says, for godly grief produces repentance, which mm -hmm. leads to salvation without regret. Yeah. And so I, that's such a, a good, um, you know, thing that you caught there. I, I do think repentance is a big part of this. I think mm -hmm. us repenting to the Lord for coming to agreement with a lie that we should have never come into agreement with. And we ask, we ask the Lord to forgive us for that. We, we repent and turn. That's what repent means translated that means to turn opposite direction to walk in the opposite direction so that's really mm -hmm. good yeah okay well i have one final question about the hidden hurts and then i want to 
segue into a final question okay. with you. But um, for somebody whose past hurts are wrapped up in needing to forgive somebody, mm-hmm. um, how how do you suggest people do that? I mean, forgiveness is such a touchy thing, right? Because some of those things feel like they're unforgivable or yeah. they feel really messy. So do you think that the Holy Spirit, um, that God just reveals that as you step out in faith and start, you know, turning from the lie and shining it out in the light and letting it air? (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's, it's such a hard, it's it's such a hard question to answer. And, you know, and the quick answer, you know, from the, from the preacher, from the pulpit is, is it's, it never feels to the person who's been harmed, right? It's super easy for a preacher to say, just get over it, you know, ask for, you need to forgive that person. But if you really put some really practical um, scenarios in place, mm-hmm. man, uh, like, can you imagine being raped? Can you imagine mm-hmm. being, I'm getting super vulgar, obviously, but can you imagine getting raped and having that rapist child? Can you imagine being physically abused? Can you imagine being abandoned? Can you imagine, I mean, there's so many things um, it's not like I'm forgiving you for not picking me up on time, you know, and sometimes I think we treat forgiveness like, like you were late to an appointment and I forgive you. No, these people are dealing with some pains that are so hurtful. Um, and so I'm never the guy that's, I don't think that it's a quick fix. I wish it yeah. was, I wish, I so wish it was. And I believe that the Lord is powerful enough for that to happen. And we should pray for that. We should pray that the Lord would, would take that pain away. But I, but I think that many times he involves us in our own healing. You know, in the story of Lazarus, uh, Jesus tells Mary and Martha, take me to your place of pain. Um, he said, where did you put him? Where did you put Lazarus? Like Jesus didn't know where Lazarus was. He knows the number of hairs on our head. So he's like, and then they get to the tomb and Jesus, and Jesus says, roll the stone aside. And Martha's like, oh, Jesus, he's been dead four days. This thing stinks up in here. <laughs> um, and, and even yet again, Jesus didn't need them to roll the stone to the side. He could have done that himself. Just a short, term late, short time later, he would roll his own stone to the side. Yeah. But for some reason, he wanted them to do what they could do. And then he would do what they couldn't do. He's like, I want to involve you in your own healing. And, and imagine these two little ladies trying to roll a massive stone out of the way. Like, it was, it was heavy. It wasn't easy. I had to break a sweat. Um, I'd have been like, Jesus, can't you do this? Like, why don't you, why don't you roll the stone out of the way? If you can raise a guy from the dead, surely you can roll a stone out of the way. But I think even that is a picture of Jesus wants us to do the hard stuff. We do the hard stuff. And then Jesus does the impossible stuff. And I think for us in forgiveness, the hard stuff, is speaking blessings over those who have harmed us. And the Bible is pretty clear about that. You know, it says to pray for those, bless those who have cursed you, pray for those. So it's like, it's like an upside down kingdom. You know, somebody punches you in the face, turn the other cheek. What? You kidding me? I'm punching them back. So it's always this upside down thing. So when you think about upside down, the upside down kingdom, when somebody harms us, what do we do? We speak blessings over them. We pray for them. We pray that God would bless them. And I think when we do the hard part, God comes and does the impossible part. Yeah. Amen. So good. 
Wow, you've said a lot of great things here, John. I'm really excited for this episode to air. And if people want to find out more about you and your ministry, how can they find you? Yeah, uh, I don't do a ton of social media except Instagram. Um, Facebook's crazy. I can't get on Facebook. Um, and so is Twitter. But I do get on. I like Instagram. I do Instagram a lot. That The, the handle is just John Chastine. John with no H. Um, and then my church's website is victory.church. Very simple. And then the university that I'm the president of is called the King's University in South Lake, Texas. And the website to that is just tku.edu. And it's a, an accredited university, bachelor's, master's, doctorate degrees um, in, in ministry. So those are those are the easiest ways to, to get in touch with me or, or to uh, see what's going on. Sounds awesome. Well, one final question. Sure. The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards restoration or redemption, eternity, authenticity, and love of those gifts that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Which of them stand out to you the most in your life right now and why? I think for me right now, <clears throat> this whole idea of this redemption, one of the things I'm the most passionate about in, in life is fullness, like the fullness of life. Mm-hmm. John 10, 10, it says, I came to, to give life. I came to give life to the full. The, the devil comes to steal, steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that you may have life, but he doesn't stop there. He says life to the full. Right. And so there's gotta be this fullness. And uh, even when Jesus told Lazarus to come out, I can imagine this four day old dead dead for four days. I mean, that's disgusting. That thing's a nasty chunk of meat right there. <laughs> and somehow heart starts beating, blood starts pumping, lungs are, lungs are moving. And he comes walking out. He's alive. But he, but then, the, then Jesus says, remove the grave cloth. So he's come out living, but he's still wearing something that symbolizes death. So he's wrapped up in something that symbolizes death, but he's alive. And I think this is a picture of of many of us, of Christians, that we're alive, our spirits are alive. We're going to spend eternity in heaven. It's not a matter of salvation. We are saved. We're going to spend eternity in heaven. But we walk around on earth in grave cloth like we have symbols of death. We're fearful. We're worried. We're anxious. Uh, We struggle with, with these things that just bind us up. And Jesus said, loose them, loose him and let him go. And so I'm super passionate about helping believers. I'm passionate about evangelism too. We, have, we get a lot of people saved at our church, but um, imagine how much stronger the church, the body of Christ would be if every believer was living a life to the full. And so yeah. I, I love your podcast. I think it's an amazing, amazing needed topic. Um, the realness, there's a, there's a lot of fake stuff in the world. Uh, I love your vulnerability. I love the way you share your heart. And uh, I just think it's so needed. And, and this generation is really smart. This this Gen Z, Gen Y generation, they see right through fake instantly. They they need genuineness. They need realness. They need uh, they need people to be vulnerable. And that's why I love what you're doing with the podcast. Mm. Well, John, I love what you're doing with your ministry. And for anyone listening, um, you can listen to that sermon about um, Lazarus. I know that yeah. that was the very first thing I did when I googled your name. Um, and it's, it's very compelling and and very good. And I'm excited to finish your book. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on here and share from your heart and from your wisdom. And, um, 
It's been a blessing. So. Yes. Anytime. It's, it's been such a joy hanging out with you. Thank you for having me on your podcast. It's an honor. Thank you. Until next time. Thank you, friend, for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is a grace-filled, Christ-centered podcast for those who are wandering, wondering, or simply needing to be encouraged in their faith journeys. I hope you'll come back next week when I'll most likely be sharing a conversation with another guest about their journey towards finding something real. And if you're on Instagram, please come find me. On Fridays, I share Instagram Live podcast recaps at 11.45 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you're over there on the gram, you can join me for some fun live awkwardness. (laughs) And finally, if you're someone who was encouraged by today's podcast and you have friends who would benefit from hearing the story shared here, would you go ahead and share? You can do that by hitting subscribe, leaving a review, or sharing a link. Your telling others about this podcast helps bring other people along. And finally, just so you know, if you only remember one thing about this podcast, I hope it is this. No matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus Christ loves you, and a real relationship with Him is a treasure trove of restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. He's offering that gift to you today. I pray you believe it.